change is gonna come. See that you actually are a leader. I was with Nike for a very long time and built my career in retail. You know, I think uh, this podcast just got its first exclusive. Being an entrepreneur is hard. The highs are really high and then the lows are really low. That I'm actually really interested in hearing more about. Can you talk to us a little bit about what it's like transitioning verticals? Being open to opportunity. They feel like, okay, like, if not now, then when? Hi, everybody. My name is Dahlia Strom, and I am here with my amazing podcast co-host, Pablo Henderson. We run the Motivated Podcast. So the Motivated Podcast features highly driven people who pursue interesting endeavors and explore what drives their grit, their hustle, their passion, and most importantly, how they stay inspired. Welcome, Pablo. Thank you, Dahlia. I am pumped to be with you today because it's just you and me. we have spent so much time over the last couple of years hosting people on this podcast and talking with them. But over the years, you and I have kind of had our sidebars along the way that we haven't shared with anyone. And it was through one of those that we came up with the idea for today's podcast. It's nice because what we've developed, and that's been the most meaningful to me at least, is um, we've kind of developed like this really amazing friendship where we like have these sidebars, but we kind of powwow back and forth about what's going on in our other's lives. And what I've found to be the most fascinating about everything that you do is you do these high, high energy, high expertise races, I guess, how would you classify them? I mean, it's really just uh, seeking out challenge in different ways and anything beyond a marathon distance of 26.2 miles is considered an ultra marathon. So uh, I attempted my longest distance yet, which was running 100 miles. And uh, spoiler alert, I failed epically. And it was in sharing my failure, failure between air quotation marks, because I did reframe. You saw my hesitation, right? You're like, well, I, oh, yes. failure. <laughs> and I also reframed my understanding of this entire experience in a completely different context. So failure is a loaded word and one that I think is loaded in society in general. But for the purpose of just purely defining it as I did not achieve my intended goal for that day, of completing 100 miles on foot within a specific time period, I failed. But I gained so much more in the process. Uh, and that's that's really what I was sharing with you. But I didn't actually come to those conclusions until after you and I had spoken. Uh, and, and that's why I think it's good that we're chatting today. Um, first, I wanna say how honored I am uh, that that I was able to make such an impact during that conversation. And I think that that's, that's, I, that's why we host this podcast, right? We want to make impact. We want to help other people. We want to be supportive of their journey. And, and I think what's nice is we've been very supportive of each other's journey. And, and I personally have only seen opportunities through growth together. So first, I want to put that out there. Um, the second thing that I find to be very interesting about what you said is you failed, right? And I, I like almost have to take a deep breath because I think the bigger question that I ask myself often is what does failure mean and what does it look like and who, in whose eyes did we fail? Right? Like, it's not like you're taking a test and this is the specific grade that you have to take, you have to get, 
it's more along the lines of you had a goal and you didn't meet that goal, but why do we consider that failure? Very much so. And why did I, why was I left with feelings of failure afterwards, which is while you and I were doing a touch base about other uh, matters, uh, I shared with you that I had not completed my objective. And it was top of mind for me because I was feeling a sense of failure. Um, and I was in a low place about it. Uh, I thought that I was handling it better than I did until I actually spoke with you and realized, oh, I'm actually not, I'm processing this now. I'm not handling it as well as I think. I think that when I think of failure and one of the things you touched on is failure in the eyes of whom, right? Like, uh, yes, there was a little bit of embarrassment that I told a few people that I was set out to do something and then I didn't do it. And that is in conflict with who I try to be. But I also um, had, had put something out there, you know, uh, and, I, and I didn't accomplish it. But, but it, the, go ahead. No, I was going to say, just touching on that first part, isn't it interesting that you told people about this amazing thing that you were, um, you were going to be doing and the likeliness of any of them doing it is probably very slim, right? So even just doing it, taking the action to go and register and attend and participate, the likeliness of most of those people uh, taking those actions, that action is probably going to be much slimmer, right? So isn't it very interesting that we look at these type of experiences as um, something that would be semi-embarrassing, except they're not somebody that's actually doing it with you. So they're probably just admiring you for even attending, for taking the action to attend. And it's isn't it interesting? Hundred percent, me internalizing yeah. a bunch of um, bullshit, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's me completely creating a narrative because the reality is that in the days that came after the race, and people are, hey, how did you do? How did it go? Not one single person was like, oh, that sucked. Everyone, every single person I shared the story with was like, wow, that was impressive. Kudos to you for even yeah. trying. Like it was overwhelming support. Um, uh, so it's definitely on, on the individual. It was definitely on me. Uh, the other piece though, is that the peer group you know, varies, right? So the people that have no intention of ever doing something like that, who um, I care equally about for various reasons, they're the people that, um, that actually are in that domain. They're part of my group of people that, you know, um, we, we share the same passion. It's just as if as a marketer, you know, I was speaking at a convention about marketing. If I was at a convention about something that was un unrelated to marketing, I might not care about the audience as much, but amongst my professional peers in marketing, it, it was something that, that, that meant something to me. But you're right. At the end of the day, reframing failure in the context of how you define it was probably one of the reasons that I failed in the first place because I missed important cues. There were tangible things that I could have done to be successful in that race. And I see you're smiling. So maybe it's the term success that I used. No, I think it's a combination, right? Like you brought up a conference. So imagine like going to a conference and you're speaking, you showed up, you set out what you accomplished. Maybe 
um, the way I would look at it slightly differently is maybe you, what you put out there wasn't as re- wasn't received by the audience as you had expected. Maybe you put together a joke and it just wasn't funny. Well, look at that as failure. I look at that as, okay, maybe I should reassess. I'm not funny. So I'll accept that and let's go down this other path, right? Like, I think that um, it's, I think that we have to look at things from a different lens People say things and they don't actually follow through. And that to me could, um, that could feel debilitating, right? But I think that what you're, what you did is you said something, you follow through, you took that action and you had some roadblocks. So you learn better for next time. I think that we are so hard on ourselves that we call things failure as opposed to stepping stones or stepping blocks for the next experience on how we can have a better experience or how we can improve that experience. You know, I think about this often. I think we are so hard on ourselves as people that like everything has to be black and white, but I think this lives in the gray area. You did what you're, what you set out to do. It might, the outcome might not have been what you expected it to be. And I, I kind of just believe that like, if you anticipate the outcome, it's never going to be that way. So you actually can't anticipate the outcome. You never know what's going to happen. It's always going to be a different ending in the story. But you have the opportunity to say, okay, that was the ending in this story. Can I slightly impact the ending in my next story? You know? I love that. Um, and after the race was done and I kind of wallowed in my sorrows around, you know, th- there was disappointment because also there was other people that were heavily invested in this that I needed to 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 recruit as my crew to drive out, you know, there to stay up for hours. You know, there were a number of other people. So I also felt bad for them because I had let down my team Um also, but I don't why? Think- see, like you're still using this language, and this is like killer for me. You're still using the language of letting down my team. Why do you st- you still feel this way? So my team did not feel that I had let them down because they would never embark on supporting me, you know, uh, in in such black and white terms. But I felt that uh, they had volunteered their time to support an outcome, and. Uh, and I hadn't delivered on that promise. What I then learned afterwards, after speaking to them and after processing all of this, was that I had not put all of this in the right context. I had not even approached the event with the right mindset. And afterwards, I hadn't even processed what I perceived as failure in the in the right terms. Uh, and the support from my team, when I say, uh, at the time, I felt like I had let them down. It was because I understood the sacrifices that they had made. But I do understand that it was that they just wanted me to have fun. They just wanted me to see my me doing what I enjoy. And they just wanted to help me along the way. And they had done all of that. And the only disappointment that they have is that I didn't have fun. It ended up not being a fun experience because... It went tragically wrong in a number of different ways. Um, so you have to get into the weeds with us because only I know that story. And I'm pretty sure our audiences want to know exactly what happened. So <laughs> you got to tell us what happened. Yeah. So um, uh, 
I'll jump to the end and then come back to the beginning. But the uh, isn't outcome, that how we read books? We start at the yeah. end and then go back to the <laughs> the outcome of of this experience led me to focus on four different areas to celebrate the positives, and I will speak about those uh, afterwards. But to review my training, my preparations, and my strategy. So just keep that in mind. I really um, like that. By the way, I want to make a note of all of that. Yeah. Um, uh, celebrate the positives and, and I had to, and I had to review my training preparation and strategy. And so I set out on this race. I'm a pretty competitive person. And I say to no, myself, not at all. Oh, not me. <laughs> not uh, I say, you know what, Pablo, you make the mistake. You've made it before in, in big races. Uh, don't set out too fast, sit back. And, uh, I happened to be corralled with a decently fast group of people, um, it's a timed corrals that they set out. So the slowest people start early in the morning. And as you get later in the morning, faster people start. I was miscorralled also because I was with some pretty fast people. Um, and trail running is not my expertise. I'm a, I'm a marathon road runner and we get out running. Wait, happens- sorry. I need, the, I need that context. What's the difference between a marathon road runner and trail running? So I run in urban environments, uh, on streets. Uh, think of the Boston Marathon, the New York Marathon. I do races that are in exotic locations, but always in an urban setting. Most ultra marathons occur in forests, national parks, very technical trails that may include some climbing, um, jumping over rocks, maybe running across streams. And the two cultures subcultures that support those two events are very different right um, and the so, vibe so is, is it more it's earthier it's not competitive it's more about being with nature um the time is yes relevant but it's more so about the experience so just to be clear you're doing something more intense that the energy and the vibe is not more competitive <laughs> It's interesting. It's but, like a contradiction. Um, it's, a, it's a contradictory statement, right? Yeah, it's interesting because it's really around um, the camaraderie of being out in nature and honoring uh, the the environment that you're in. Whereas um, marathon running is mainly designed around experiencing an urban environment, but towards performance towards Mm -hmm. the completion of that goal within a certain amount of time um, because the distance is the same distance. uh, It's a standard distance that you've now covered 26 miles and it's, it's perceived as achievable. Once you start getting into over 26 miles, you start running 35, 50, hundred miles, there's doubt as to whether you may even complete it. And that doubt creates a bond between the people that are participating because there's an unknown. You may not finish. The marathon, you're likely to finish 26 miles, even if you end up having to walk the last few miles because you're tired. Got it. Okay. So, and I think that um, the interesting part about all of this and that we need to reference is that it's called a marathon, right? Like it's not a race. And that I think really resonates with me because when I think of a marathon, I think of a journey. So When it's yeah. a race, you need to get to the end uh, line as quickly as possible, the finish line as quickly as possible, right? But when it's a marathon, it's meant to be a marathon and you're supposed to go at your pace, whatever you feel comfortable with. 
And, and I really like the, the idea of thinking of a marathon um, along with pacing yourself. And that's kind of where everything went wrong with this whole story. So, um, and by the way, there are probably going to be more metaphors uh, jammed into this podcast than any other uh, podcast we've recorded. Uh, <laughs> I think you can extract all of these lessons to, to real life. And while we're talking about running, what we're actually talking about is is a lot deeper. And um, and a good example is I, you know, it happened to be an all male group that I was with, but there were numerous women that were in the race in various corrals and the race gets started. And I'm really pulling back, trying to run as slow as as I think is going to make sense. But there's a herd of a group of men that head off. And I know that I can't keep pace with them. They're just they're gone. And then I am. Um, I'm hanging back with a slower group, but they're running too slow for my liking. And so I find myself in this no man's land in between the fast people and the slower people. And you have to keep in mind that you have to navigate this course. There are markers on trees, but you miss one marker and you could be off course. And while there's now technology that you can use that supports you to let you know that you're off course, getting lost does happen. And um, had I slowed down and had I stayed with the group, I would not have gotten lost. But within the first 10 miles of the race, I got lost for five miles. Now, on a hundred mile race, that is substantial. And uh, while I was lost, I paired up with another guy who was lost, a Canadian runner who had gone off course. I didn't know this, by the way. So that's the most important part of the story. Well, had I not, had I paced myself and stayed with the group and not gone solo, I would not have gotten lost. And so then another lesson from all of this was the power of community and, and uh, the African proverb of, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. (laughs) If you want to go far, go together. Yeah. And I didn't make it very far. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and had I stayed to- together, I would have done a lot better. So I got I got lost and that ended up becoming a chain of events because the people that were at the back of me ended up passing me right, while I was lost for five miles. And at one point in the race around the 20 mile mark, I was third from last. But I, I'm third from last, but I've run an additional five miles from everybody. And. um. 28 miles into the race, I fall back into last position and the sun sets and I'm in the forest running and I can't find any of the markers. And for one hour, a total of 58 minutes, it took me 58 minutes to complete one mile because I was running around in circles in the black forest. I'm starting to get scared. I'm starting to get a little bit panicked. And I call the race directors to let them know that I'm, you know, I'm in the forest and um, and I, I may need assistance at some point. And they're like, we can't send anybody out to get you. Um, you're going to have to figure this out. And so. Wait, I, what? Wait, two things. First, at this point, did you have uh, the other Canadian gentleman with you or you still no, had him? He had dropped. He had dropped me. So I'm, I'm literally the last person in the race. What and, do you mean uh, he dropped you? Well, he he kept going at a faster pace um, and I couldn't keep up. Wow. So he figured out how to get out of there. Yeah. 
yeah, we, we, once we figured out how to get back on trail, he was like, okay, I'm going, you know, the only reason yeah. I probably caught up to that Canadian guy in the first place is because he was lost, you know, he's right. a stronger runner than me, a guy from um, a mountainous area in Quebec. And he had actually never gotten lost and he'd done numerous trails before. Um, wow. And, uh, and so uh, the good news is that I get out of the trail, but by the time I get out of the trail onto the next aid station, um, it, I've run for 35 miles and I've run for a total of nine and a half hours. And um, I, there was no way that I was going to catch the rest of the group. And I had another whole night of running to do because it's uh, by that point, it was around nine o'clock at night. And so I would have had to run through the night. So I dropped out of the race. Um, Wait, two questions, actually, because now I'm just thinking about this. This I didn't have the context of. So it's the middle of the night. Do you run with things for camping? Yeah. So you run with a, a backpack that has water, emergency supplies and a headlamp. And the headlamp is good for showing you along the way. But um, the markers are little yellow markers, blue markers or red markers up on a tree. So uh, visibility is not perfect at night. You have to really right. slow down and pay attention. So then what are you expected to do? Like, do you take a nap? Do you go through the night? Like, are you expected to go? Some people, sleep? some people get to an aid station and they, uh, they may take a break, but most people run through the night and wow. any race that's a hundred miles will likely take you through, will take you through the night because they're usually around a completion time of 20 to 26 hours. My estimated completion time, had I continued, would have been 33 hours, which was another wow. determining factor in me saying, I'm, this is not my day. I gotta, I've got to pull out, right? Um, and so and what I, does that look like if you pull out? Like, how so do you do that? You, you have to do it in an aid station so that they know that you haven't died somewhere in, on the trail, right? So you, you notify an official from the race that you're officially withdrawing your, 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 your position. And um, and then they know not to worry about you and they continue with the logistics of the race. But even even referencing not worrying about you, you just said that they couldn't come in and and get you. So, like, what would happen if somebody was actually like physically ill? They had hurt themselves. Like, how do so, they navigate that? So they um. I'm getting more angry for you by the second. And I don't want to spend too much time on race logistics, but they, there was a guy who'd broken his um, ankle um, who I, so I wasn't technically the last person. There was a guy who broke his ankle who was behind me that they were trying to figure out an extraction for uh, wow. from, the, from the, from the race. Um, but they were, had limited resources. There are still hundreds of other people that they need to also, pay attention to and my situation wasn't dire I wasn't lost I was on the trail but not knowing where else to go at night at that point and so I was like and I wasn't in an emergency situation the only thing that was of concern to them is that this was up in Massachusetts New Hampshire and I was in shorts and so that's that's why they were concerned it was going to get pretty cold, cold. But, I mean any, wow. yeah I was gonna get pretty cold through the night um so so the lesson um, learned, wear pants next time. Yeah, well, I, I had no expectation at that point to be running at night at that specific point. I would have made right. it to the aid station, but I fell behind. And so the very, very tactical, practical elements of this were with regards to better knowing the trail and all the logistics that I could have put into the work 
of preparation, improving my training. There were a number of things that I could have done to not be in that situation, to not have gotten lost in the first place. But right. strategically, just staying behind would have kept me going along the way. But when you, you and I spoke, I gave you a la laundry list of all the things that I could have done better. And I told you about all the things that could have happened differently. And you said to me, and you're not even like an ultra runner, but you had this independent perspective. You said to me, but wasn't this about pacing? And I had this eureka light bulb moment because I'm like, pacing, yes. Had I paced myself at the beginning differently? Had I stuck with that group of, you know, 10 to 12 guys that were taking their time, taking in the sights, enjoying the experience, really living the, 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 you know, the values of what the race was supposed to be about, which was the journey actually being the destination, the experience, they were all having fun, you know? Had I paced myself in those terms as opposed to, you know, the goal of getting the race done and going as quickly as I could, um, the outcome would have been very different. And where it touched me so deeply is that people have told me in the past, Pablo, you have to pace yourself. You don't pace yourself. Not just with regards to my running, but with regards to the way I live my life. Yeah. And it took this experience, you know, nothing and negative. And words of wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and you actually telling me, no, you're, 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 you're denying looking at this for what it really was. Because other people had actually told me similar things too, but I just didn't, I wasn't ready to hear it, right? So it took me being in that place that I was, um, probably wallowing in a little self-pity um, to actually hear, hear the truth, you know, that it was my fault. And I had played around with different <laughs> narrative. I that played was around your takeaway, pays yourself equals it's your fault. <laughs> well, I had played around with all these other narratives, Dahlia. Well, if the trail had been better marked and I hadn't gotten lost, right? Very easy to make that argument, but that's yeah. not what it was about, you know? Yeah, it's interesting because the reason that I was even thinking about Pace Yourself was a specific work instance that had happened to me earlier that day where um, I have a bunch of different clients that are giving me different client work. And what I'm finding is that they want immediate responses and immediate action. And I, I, on the other hand, have decided to take an approach of, okay, I'm blocking this out. This is when you can expect this deliverable. And that goes back to pacing yourself. I think we have become, and I am, I'm personally at fault for this in my own regard, where I want things immediately, right? Like we want that immediate um, sense of like uh, appreciation and gratification. And I even right down to like with Amazon, I know that if I place an order right now, I can get something tomorrow. Like it's, it's the way that we have transitioned our life, especially most recently where things come immediately. And I'm trying to put those roadblocks up for myself where I'll be okay with wait, instead of running to the store and getting what I need immediately, I want to be okay with waiting a couple of days for the item to get delivered. I want to be okay with um, understanding that like certain things take a certain time frame, and I don't need things to be done within the first couple of seconds, the first couple of minutes. Like I want, I personally want to be okay with the pacing process where I know that this is going to get done and it's going to take X amount of time to do. 
And I also want the people that I'm working with to appreciate that process. Because if we, and this actually stems from something that happened to me recently in terms of pacing ourselves, um, I rushed a, uh, I rushed a uh, project and there were a lot of mistakes that we had to fix. And I think that that's a reminder that if you're rushing something and you're treating something as though it's a race, you're going to end up fixing the mistakes later. So if you do it as a journey, if you look at it as pacing yourself and setting up specific timeframes, goals, deliverables, and you, this, I'm starting to apply in every aspect of my life, then you, you have less mistakes. And I think that that applies to your situation here too, where like, look, we make mistakes. And you know what the funnier part is? We always have the tendency to say, um, if I would have done X, then I wouldn't have made that mistake. But also that's why we call it a mistake. That's why we call things accidents. Like there's no way to predict an accident. There's only a way to assess the situation from a whole and decrease the chance of that accident or that mistake happening. This is also about pacing yourself according to the purpose and understanding culture. And I came to that trail race run with a urban race mindset. I didn't come with the, hey, I'm going to stop and take in the views and eat a granola bar. And this And by is... the way, I don't know that I've ever seen you do that ever. So <laughs> well, that is the mindset of the of the ultra marathon of the nature trail runner, right? I I wasn't respectful of nature. I didn't even think about nighttime, <laughs> right? I didn't even think about how arduous it would be and the strain it would take to go off course for five miles because I wasn't in the right mindset. And so had my mindset been uh, respectful of the community that I was joining and the culture that I was part of, I would have paced myself accordingly. But I brought a go, go, go urban environment to, to, to a nature setting. And that is a, a big part of this story it, because it, it contextualizes this theme of pacing, not just with me and my um my inclination, my bias towards being a poor pacer in all aspects of my life, but 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 because I lost sight of what was really the experience was really about. And my crew supported me in this because they just like to see me happy. Not because they wanted me to see a, some specific time when I finished the race or whatnot. And so pacing, and I'm just saying exactly what you said in a slightly different way. It can rob you of these magical moments, right? Like you could be robbed of actually taking it all in. And uh, I don't know why I lost sight of the goal because I think I went in there telling myself, oh, I'm not trying to complete this in a specific amount of time. And I tried to set boundaries around what my objectives were and what I wanted to get from the experience. But somehow I got caught up. And I think that's what happens to us. I think it's what's happening to us in a social media world, in, in a such a fast moving digital world where we lose sight of why we started doing something in the first place. Why, why did I, I didn't go back to why I signed up. This journey wasn't about just that day. 
it was about the moment that I signed up for that race. It's that's when it really started. And somehow along the way, I lost sight of my motivation. What were my motives? I think it's a combination. I think that um, I think that it's combination of motivation, but it's also like um, almost gratification, right? Like I think that we should feel gratified if we enter the experience and then also at the completion of the experience, no matter what the outcome is. And I think that that we're losing pieces of that. I know I am where I even right down to like, um, I'm trying to make sure that I find gratitude in everything that I do. I'm trying to make sure that um, I appreciate the micro experiences or like even the small things that people do for me. I think that we've started to take it for granted. I have personally felt taken for granted and I want to make sure that other people don't feel taken for granted. And I think that it's whether it's people or experiences, um, external and then internal, like we need to, we need to find gratitude, you know, and we need to, we need to appreciate that we're even able to do this. Right. Um, it was hard to do in the moment though. And so that's why it was only after I spoke to you that I came up with my celebrate the positives, you know, review your training and preparation and strategy. And in the positives, the gratitude part, it was, Hey, Pablo, it feels pretty hard right now to know that you didn't complete the race, but you ran nonstop for nine and a half hours. You completed 35 miles of running you didn't get injured and you're still healthy and nothing bad happened to you in the forest. You didn't get discouraged mentally when you were lost and you still did it, which is probably one of the things you should feel the most proud about. And you were supported by friends and family who wanted nothing but the best for you. And at the time where I was quitting or at the time where I was feeling like I had failed, I couldn't come back to that list. It was only until I was able to process it. You and I spoke and I started really reflecting on the experience. Yeah. And so one of the messages for me to anybody else that's listening is when you quit something to then- You keep calling it quitting. I don't consider this quitting. Well, hold on. We are bringing extra baggage to quit because I think that- I think that there's not, I think there's nothing wrong with quit, actually. But I don't think you quit. You kept going. You could have just said, figure it out. Come pick me up right here. You still had, you didn't quit. You still had to find a station to help them extract you from, because they couldn't extract you, right? Like you still had to find a way to get to them. You could have quit. You said, I'm not leaving. Figure out a way to extract me from here. That I would classify as quitting. I'd be like, all right, you admitted defeat. But you gave up. Who even give quitting a bad rep? I don't think there's anything wrong with quitting. I, I don't think, think that... there's anything wrong with quitting. I don't think you quit, though. I think you could have quit and said, I'm staying here. Come pick me up. And that would that I could classify as quitting. I don't think you quit. I think that you went as far as you could. And then you, you that was your max. Like, I just don't think you quit. I don't look at what you did as quitting. Well, that's for another podcast because okay, uh, at the end of the day, I I I quit when I had the opportunity to quit, and um and there is there while it would have been a a, a 
incredible feat of uh, human athleticism at that point to complete the race, there was still a way forward and I chose not to take it. And so I used the word quit without any negative connotations, just with the fact that sometimes you need to pull back to go forward. Sometimes you need to stop to, to reassess and we can call it quitting. We can call it when you um, actually had to remove yourself from the, the race, what's the verbiage that they use? Because they don't call it quitting. They don't say, are you quitting from the race? Like they, they call it withdrawing, right? Yeah. I mean, um, yes. Um, but there is. I don't think it's because there's, I don't think it's because there's a negative connotation. I just think that it's because you didn't quit. You went as far as you could go. I just don't think, and it's not a race. It's a marathon. Yeah. So you went as far as you can go for the marathon. There is no quitting. <laughs> I well, don't see quitting here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that. And I think that um, uh, the message that I do have, though, is if there is a time where you feel like you need to stay, take a step back or you need to reassess, or you need to take a pause or you need to withdraw. Um, that's also a moment to find gratitude because that is the gratitude the, the source of energy that you will need to plot the next endeavor. And so my motivation, as you can imagine, was at a zero right after that race. And when I found gratitude, it replenished my motivation bucket. And where do you think my motivation to run the race again is right now? probably pretty high it's high it's high because you I'm didn't planning it, quit I'm planning it for next yeah. year because yeah. yes i didn't quit in the big picture and that's what's important you can quit in the short term as long as it's to continue in the long term you know i think we're gonna have to agree to disagree about what quitting <laughs> actually means <laughs> and that's what and that is what's so great about when you and i get together and chat because um we don't agree on everything and that's what makes such great conversations <laughs> <laughs> now you're going to have me thinking about quitting for the rest of the day. Yeah. And maybe that's our next podcast. You know, it's interesting because as you're saying this, my, like my perspective of you is that you speak to so many people all the time that it, it's almost like flattering that our conversation made such an impact. Oh, well, uh, I think that um, what, what your your, your insights to me was so important was that it checked a few boxes. You, you were somebody whose opinions I respect in general. You're the somebody, feeling is mutual. You're somebody who is motivated. So had, had it been somebody that, you know, I think is kind of lazy and, you know, and, you know, never gets out and does anything. I don't know that I would put as much stock in that comment, right? That, maybe that's the wrong attitude, but you have credibility with me, right? Um, you also were not tied to the experience. So you weren't heavily invested in it. And so you provided neutral perspective. And then the other piece is that I know that you have good intent, right? You're giving me feedback because you care about me. And I know that because you're my friend. And so you checked a lot of the boxes that like, this is coming from somebody who cares about you, that has known you in some other context, is independent and has not invested in this in any way. And yet they're telling you, hey, Pablo, you need to be looking at this a little bit differently. And that goes a long way with me. I think it goes a long way with most people, right? And I think that the, the last piece is what I find to be so key. I love that when you and I look at the world, we look at it differently and 
it's it kind of inspires me to to think a little bit differently and and that I value the most out of our podcast that you always force me to think differently. Well, I have decided that I'm going to do this race again. I'm going to do a much better job of preparing myself. I'm going to take these lessons that I've learned and I'm using that shitty, yucky feeling that I had from quitting <laughs> as my motivation. Or, or withdrawing or, or going or as withdrawing. far as you could. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm taking my withdrawal feelings that I had and I'm using them as fuel, like logs that I'm sticking in the fire to, to burn away so that I'm motivated to do this race next year um, because I actually have a greater desire. I have a greater desire, not because I'm sinking so much into the weight of completing it, but I want to go back and I want to experience it the way I should have, which is stopping to take the views and eat a granola bar along the way. I don't 100% see you doing that. Maybe not the granola bar, but I can see you appreciating the views with some water. <laughs> <laughs> I think I ordered you um, the uh, winter hat with the um, yes, light, right? You yeah, you can take that next time. <laughs> Amazing. Um, I think that there were some really interesting lessons to take away from this conversation. And I'm personally inspired for this format and uh, some of our future conversations. I have a lot of ideas. Good. This was probably one of my favorite podcasts so far. Oh, me too. And thanks for letting me uh, use this platform uh, to, to get this out there because it needed an outlet. So on that note, I think that the big takeaway from today is really about pacing yourself. And I want to keep applying that towards my daily and activities. And I'm assuming that that's going to reapply towards your next marathon because we won't look at it as a race. We'll look at it as a marathon. Pablo, thank you so much for a great conversation. I always value this time. Thank you, Dahlia. And for everyone listening, hope you stay motivated. Agreed. Stay motivated. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to The Motivated Podcast and also stay tuned on LinkedIn and Instagram for some behind the scenes and extra updates.